Well, if Jesus is your life, then if anything, like the coronavirus, strips away everything else in your life and all you have is Christ, you find that he's enough. And I trust that you know Christ. And that is our passion, that is our desire as a church to help people find Christ and to follow Christ. And if there's any way we can help you do that, uh, please reach out to us. And uh, it would be a joy for us to introduce you to Uh, the person and work of Jesus Christ. Well, for our message this morning, I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Habakkuk. Habakkuk, uh, that's in the Old Testament, for those of you that are wondering. Um, It's in the clean, uh, sticky part uh, of your Bible where the pages stick together and uh, we don't often uh, traffic but I want to encourage you to find that book, maybe go to Matthew, and then start going backwards, uh, and you'll come across Habakkuk. It's only three chapters, and so it might be difficult to find at first, but once you find Habakkuk, I want you to turn to the third chapter, the last chapter, and I'm going to begin this morning by reading for you the last four verses of Habakkuk. Habakkuk chapter 3 verse 16, Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 16, the prophet Habakkuk writes this, I heard and my inward parts trembled, at the sound my lips quivered, decay enters my bones and in my place I tremble because I must wait quietly for the day of distress for the people to arise who will invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom and there be no fruit on the vines, though the yield of the olive should fail and the fields produce no food, though the flock should be cut off from the fold and there be no cattle in the stalls, yet I will exult in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength and he has made my feet like hinds feet and makes me walk on my high places." Well, over the past few weeks, I've tried to pick passages to look at with you that I hope you found relevant considering the global health crisis that we are experiencing that has turned our world upside down and has turned our lives upside down. Well, in light of what has been happening in the news this past week, I couldn't think of a more relevant passage than this. If you've been watching the news or reading the news, you know that the president and his COVID-19 task force made a grim prediction that in the next two weeks, things are going to get worse before they get better. They're now projecting that upwards to 240,000 Americans could die from the coronavirus. They added that if we don't follow the recommended guidelines, the death toll in our country could skyrocket to between 1.5 million to 2.2 million people. Well, whether these predictions and projections are accurate or not, we all have no choice but to wait out this uh, epidemic or pandemic at home with many unknowns and many unanswered questions. Well, the prophet Habakkuk was in a similar situation. 
God had given him the terrifying prophecy that Judah was going to be invaded and destroyed by the Babylonians. And that's what he was expressing in verse 16. The people of Judah weren't the only ones affected by this threatening prediction. This wasn't a a brief localized incident, but this was a worldwide phenomenon that lasted for months, even years You see, the Babylonian Empire was slowly taking over the ancient world. They were laying siege to all the capital cities and ravaging one nation after another. And everyone saw it coming. They heard the horrifying reports and all they could do was wait for the coming calamity. And like us, who are facing a a scary, slow-moving, worst-case scenario situation, When Habakkuk heard that God was going to use the Babylonians to punish Judah, he was not only scared, but he was confused. He was baffled. And he had lots of unanswered questions. And he was extremely open and honest about those questions and those struggles that he had with the mysterious ways of God. In fact, Habakkuk The name Habakkuk means one who embraces or clings and conveys the idea of of a wrestler holding on to an opponent. And so Habakkuk lived out his name in that he wrestled with God in the midst of a very difficult, baffling situation. And by the end of his prophecy, he firmly clung to God by faith and he humbly embraced his will regarding the future judgment of Judah. And in the short three-chapter book, we get a a front-row seat to the wrestling match that Habakkuk had with God and how God brought him to a place where he finally tapped out. And he stopped protesting against God and started praising God. Now, if we're honest, we often have a hard time figuring out, figuring out what God is up to. There are times in all of our lives when we find ourselves in circumstances that are beyond our ability to understand. We wonder, we even wrestle with God, why, God, would you allow this to happen to me or maybe to someone that we love? And while you may have not actually said it, you say, said what? Well, God, I have a bone to pick with you. That may have never come out of your mouth, but at times, our feelings and our attitudes express that thought, that we have a problem with what God is doing. But like Habakkuk, those times when we are baffled by God and confused by his dealings with us or his dealings in this world, at first they might trip up our faith, but ultimately they grow up our faith. Now I hope you're already starting to see that even though the minor prophets were written close to 3,000 years ago, this obscure section of scripture is as relevant and applicable and potentially life-changing today as it was back then. The minor prophets may be the most neglected, the the, the least understood portion of God's word. And historically, they've not been a popular subject of biblical exposition. 
I mean, who wants to, to hear a bunch of doom and gloom messages from, from ancient men to ancient nations regarding ancient events that have no relevance to people living in the 21st century? Well, the minor prophets are the written records of 12 prophets who served as God's mouthpieces to confront and comfort the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah, along with surrounding Gentile nations, particularly Assyria and Edom, during the Assyrian, Babylonian, and Medo-Persian empires, which spanned four centuries from about 800 to 400 B.C., And these 12 prophetic books are referred to as minor, not because their message is less important than the five major prophets, which we know as Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, but the reason why they're referred to as minor is because they're simply shorter and smaller. In fact, before the time of Christ, to ensure that that none of them got lost as a result of their brevity, they were grouped together in the Hebrew Bible to make one long scroll called the 12. And even though they are short and small, the minor prophets pack a powerful, practical punch. And we're gonna see that this morning in this brief overview of the book of Habakkuk. And I guess I would begin by saying, like a number of the other minor prophets, we don't know much about Habakkuk other than his name, which is mentioned once in chapter one, verse one, and a second time in chapter three, verse one. But his prophecy is dated between 609 and 605 BC. And the reason why we know that is because of the events that he's referring to uh, in this book. Um, Judah's righteous king Josiah died in 609 BC. And despite his sweeping moral and spiritual reforms, Judah had quickly fallen back into her sinful, rebellious ways. At about the same time as prophesied by Nahum, Nineveh, the capital city of the Assyrian Empire, was conquered by the rising power of the Babylonians in 612 BC. And then Nebuchadnezzar, who was the king of Babylon, first invaded Judah in 605 BC. And so that's how we come up with uh, this 609 to 605 BC time frame. Now the theme of this book is worshiping while wrestling. That's what I would like to call it, worshiping while wrestling. Or another way, you could uh, state it as comfort in the face of coming calamity. And the book breaks down into two basic parts. Uh, Chapters one and two are the prophet's problem with God, and then chapter three is the prophet's prayer to God. But for our time this morning, I want to divide it up into three parts according to the three chapters. And what we're going to see this morning is in chapter one, we see Habakkuk wrestling with God. And then in chapter two, we see Habakkuk waiting on God. And then in the third chapter, we see Habakkuk worshiping God. And so let's look first of all at chapter one, where Habakkuk was wrestling with God. Notice chapter one, verse one. The oracle which Habakkuk the prophet saw, 
How long, O Lord, will I call for help and you will not hear? I cry out to you violence, yet you do not save. Why do you make me see iniquity and cause me to look on wickedness? Yes, destruction and violence are before me. Strife exists and contention arises. Therefore, the law is ignored and justice is never upheld for the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore, justice comes out perverted. This is Habakkuk's first complaint against the Lord. And as I mentioned earlier, after the death of Josiah, justice essentially disappeared in the land of Judah and violence and lawlessness became pervasive. And Habakkuk was deeply concerned that God's holiness was being violated and he wondered why God was not intervening and judging the flagrant sin of his people. I mean, how could God allow such wickedness to go unchecked or unpunished? And God was like, well, Habakkuk, I'm so glad you asked. And notice what he says in verse five. Look among the nations. Observe, be astonished, wonder, because I am doing something in your days you would not believe it if you were told. We are truly living in amazing times. And I don't know if any of us would believe what has been happening in our world right now, even if someone told us about it. And so here God was responding to Habakkuk's complaint by telling him that he was fully aware of the sinful situation and that he was going to deal with his people He was going to do that, but he warned Habakkuk that he would have a hard time believing how he actually planned to punish them. And God went on to tell him that he was going to use the nation of Babylon as his rod of judgment upon Judah, and he described how fearsome and ferocious the Babylonians were. Notice verse six. For behold, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, that fierce and impetuous people who march throughout the earth to seize dwelling places which are not theirs. They are dreaded and feared. Their justice and authority originate with themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards and keener than wolves in the evening. Their horsemen come galloping. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle swooping down to devour. All of them come for violence. Their horde of faces moves forward. They collect captives like sand. They mock at kings and rulers are allowed matter to them. They laugh at every fortress and heap up rubble to capture it. Then they will sweep through like the wind and pass on, but they will be held guilty. They whose strength is their God. Well, as you can imagine, Habakkuk didn't like the sound of any of that. And so he voiced his second complaint. Notice verse 12. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? We will not die. You, O Lord, have appointed to judge. 
You, O Lord, have appointed them to judge, and you, O Rock, have established them to correct. Your eyes are too pure to approve evil, and you cannot look on wickedness with favor. Why do you look with favor on those who deal treacherously? Why are you silent when the wicked swallow up those more righteous than they? Why have you made men like the fish of the sea, like creeping things without a ruler over them? The Chaldeans bring all of them up with a hook. They drag them away with their net, and they gather them together in their fishing net. Therefore they rejoice and are glad. Therefore they offer a sacrifice to their net and burn incense to their fishing net because through these things their catch is large and their food is plentiful. Will they therefore empty their net and continually slay nations without sparing? So God's response to Habakkuk's first question created an even greater question in Habakkuk's mind And the fact that God was sending the Babylonians of all people to judge Judah baffled him even more because it seemed inconsistent with God's character and God's promises. I mean, how could God judge his own people using a nation that was even more wicked than they were? That doesn't make any sense. And his question of why Didn't God judge his people was eclipsed by the question of why would God use the Babylonians to punish his people who while sinful, yes, and deserving of punishment, yes, were far less wicked. If you could imagine, this would be like God saying to those Christians here in America who are concerned about the spiritual decline of our nation and who are praying for God to deal with the sin of our country, for God to say that he was gonna use Islamic terrorists to punish us. We would be perplexed, we would be confused about what God is thinking, what God is doing, and we, like Habakkuk, would need to be reminded of Isaiah 55, verses eight and nine, where God said that his Thoughts are higher than our thoughts, and his ways are higher than our ways. And so we hear, see here in, in chapter one how Habakkuk was wrestling with God. And this may describe some of you this morning, that through this whole coronavirus epidemic, that would be the best description of your life right now, what's going on in your mind and going on in your heart, that you've you've, you've just been in a wrestling match with God, saying, God, what are you doing? I don't get you. I don't like this. And you've been protesting. You've been complaining to God about how this all has affected you and doesn't seem right, doesn't seem fair. Well, let's move on to the second chapter. The second chapter is we see Habakkuk waiting on God. So he goes from wrestling with God to waiting on God. Notice verse one. I will stand on my guard post and station myself on the rampart and I will keep watch to see what he will speak to me and how I may reply when I'm reproved. Habakkuk knew he had it coming to him. 
He knew his protests against the Lord were not appropriate. And so he declared that he would station himself like a sentinel in order to watch and to wait for God to answer. Notice verse two. Then the Lord answered me and said, record the vision and inscribe it on tablets that the one who reads it may run. For the vision is yet for the appointed time. It hastens toward the goal and it will not fail. Though it tarries, wait for it, for it will certainly come, it will not delay. Like us, Habakkuk was in a situation where God basically said, wait for it. You're going to have to wait for it. It's not here yet. You think it is. You think things are bad right now, but really it's only going to get worse. Wait for it. And so God told him to write down the vision that he gave him of this coming calamity. And so in the following verses, or I should say the rest of the verses in chapter two, God reassured Habakkuk that he was not only aware of Judah's sin, but also the sin of the Babylonians, and that he was planning to judge them also for their pride and their ambition, and their greed, and their cruelty, and their debauchery, and their idolatry, and God spelled out their fate, the fate of the Babylonians, in a series of woes. Notice the first woe against aggression, verse four. Behold, as for the proud one, his soul is not right within him, but the righteous will live by his faith. You may wanna underline that last phrase of verse four, but the righteous will live by his faith. We're going to come back to that at the end. Furthermore, wine betrays the haughty man so that he does not stay at home. He enlarges his appetite like Sheol, and he is like death, never satisfied. He also gathers to himself all nations and collects to himself all peoples. Will not all of these take up a taunt song against him, even mockery and insinuations against him, and say, woe to him who increases what is not his, for how long and make himself rich with his loans? Will not your creditors rise up suddenly and those who collect from you awaken? Indeed, you will become plunder for them. Because you have looted many nations, all the remainder of the peoples will loot you because of human bloodshed and violence done to the land, to the town, and all its inhabitants. So again, this is a woe against the Babylonians. God is speaking about the nation of Babylon here. And he goes on with a, A second woe, a woe against self-assertion, verse nine, woe to him who gets evil gain from his house to put his nest on high, to be delivered from the hand of calamity. You have devised a shameful thing for your house by cutting off many peoples, so you are sinning against yourself. Surely the stone will cry out from the wall and the rafter will answer it from the framework." He goes on to give another woe, a third woe, against the Babylonians' violence. Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and founds a town with violence. Is it not indeed from the Lord of hosts that peoples toil for fire 
and nations grow weary for nothing, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And then he goes on with a fourth woe against the Babylonians' inhumanity. Woe to you who make your neighbors drink, who mix in your venom even to make them drunk so as to look on their nakedness. You will be filled with disgrace rather than honor. Now you yourself drink and expose your own nakedness. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you and utter disgrace will come upon your glory. For the violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you and the devastation of its beasts by which you terrified them because of human bloodshed and violence done to the land, to the town and all its inhabitants. And then he ends this chapter with a final woe, a woe against their idolatry, the idolatry of the Babylonians. Verse 18, what profit is the idol? When its maker has carved it, or an image, a teacher of falsehood, for its maker trusts in his own handiwork when he fashions speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a piece of wood, awake, to a mute stone, arise, and that is your teacher. Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all inside of it, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. In other words, all that to say that what goes around comes around. And God knows, God sees, and be sure your sin will find you out, and you will reap what you sow. And so the Babylonians were obliterated by the Medes and the Persians in 539 BC. And chapter two is a prophecy of the destruction of the nation of Babylon. But Habakkuk would have to wait for that to happen. And before that happened, Babylon would come and invade Judah and destroy all of Israel. And so it was going to get worse before it got better. And so here we find Habakkuk waiting, waiting in silence. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. In other words, Habakkuk, watch your mouth. Watch what you say during this season of waiting. Don't protest. Don't complain. But wait in silence. Well, that brings us to chapter 3, which is why I wanted to teach from the book of Habakkuk this morning is for chapter three, and particularly the last four verses of chapter three that I've already read as we, at the beginning. But chapter three is one of the greatest psalms in the Old Testament. It's a beautiful, powerful declaration of faith in who God is and what God does. And we see here in chapter three Habakkuk worshiping God. 
Notice verse one. A prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet according to Shiginoth. In other words, chapters one and two were a protest of Habakkuk. Here now we have a prayer of Habakkuk. He's gone from protesting to praying. Lord, verse two, I have heard the report about you and I fear. Oh Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. And so here in this prayer, Habakkuk began by pleading with God to be merciful as he punished Judah and to revive his people once again. And then he goes on in verse three all the way to verse 15 to praise God for the many ways and the the many times that he has shown his power and faithfulness on behalf of his people in the past. And we'll see as as he meditated on God's goodness and faithfulness in the past, he became more confident and more peaceful about the future. Notice verse three, God comes from Teman and the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covers the heavens and the earth is full of his praise. His radiance is like the sunlight. He has rays flashing from his hand and there is the hiding of his power. Before him goes pestilence and plague comes after him. He stood and surveyed the earth. He looked and startled the nations. Yes, the perpetual mountains were shattered. The ancient hills collapsed. His ways are everlasting. I saw the tents of Kushan under distress. The tent curtains of the land of Midian were trembling. Did the Lord rage against the rivers or was your anger against the rivers or was your wrath against the sea that you rode on your horses on your chariots of salvation? Your bow was made bare. The rods of chastisement were sworn. You cleaved the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and quaked. The downpour of water swept by. The deep uttered forth its voice. It lifted high its hands. Sun and moon stood in their places. They went away at the light of your arrows, at the radiance of your gleaming spear. In indignation, you marched through the earth. In anger, you trampled the nations. You went forth for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You struck the head of the house of the evil to lay him open from thigh to neck. You pierced with his own spears the head of his throngs. They stormed in to scatter us. Their exultation was like those who devour the oppressed in secret. You trampled on the sea with your horses on the surge of many waters. All of that was Habakkuk's musing on the many ways, the many times that God had shown his power, his faithfulness, his goodness on behalf of the nation of Israel in protecting them and providing for them and delivering them from every nation that had ever come against them in their past. And again, as he, as he meditated on these things, the goodness, the faithfulness, the, the grace, the mercy, the power of God that he demonstrated and put on display in their past, it made him more confident and peaceful about the future. 
And so I want to encourage you to go to school on what Habakkuk did here, and that was to meditate on the character of God, on the person and work of God. And think back of, uh, at all the ways and all the, the times that God has been faithful to you and shown himself good to you and gracious and merciful to you and protected you and provided for you. Has God ever failed you yet? Why would you be concerned now, regardless of what you're facing? The all-powerful God is on his throne and he's in control of everything, just like he's always been and always will be. And that brings us to the main section that I wanted to look at with you in a little bit more detail this morning. Notice verse 16. I heard and my inward parts trembled at the sound my lips quivered Decay enters my bone and bones, and in my place I tremble. Because I must wait quietly for the day of distress, for the people to arise who will invade us. But look at verse 17. Though the fig tree should not blossom and there be no fruit on the vines, though the yield of the olives should fail and the fields produce no food, though the flock should be cut off from the fold and there be no cattle in the stalls, yet I will exult in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. And so here we have, despite how scared he was and how confused he was about the devastation that lie ahead. He expressed his faith, his confidence in the Lord and said, you know what? I am gonna worship you. I am gonna trust you, come what may. I think this is one of the greatest expressions of faith found anywhere in the Bible. Habakkuk's declaration could be compared to Job's classic declaration that we already sang about at the very beginning this morning. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And essentially what Habakkuk declared is that God, even though I'm scared and and not quite sure what you're up to, I will wait patiently for this thing to play out and rather than protesting, I will trust you and I will worship you no matter what. And by the way, that no matter what he described in verse 17, though the fig tree should not blossom, there be no fruit on the vines, though the yield of the olive should fail, the fields produce no food, though the flocks should be cut off from the fold and there be no cattle in the stalls. For an agrarian culture like the one that Habakkuk was living in, that, verse 17, described a complete collapse of the economy. I mean, the the bottom just falls out. And everything 
is as scarce as toilet paper. That, in other words, the paper product shelf in the grocery store isn't the only empty shelf. They're all empty. I say that because it seems like our economy is going in this, in this same direction, isn't it? And it may feel like your life is unraveling at the seams. This is, this is indeed worst case scenario. But we can find comfort in knowing, again, that the all-powerful God of the universe has everything under control and he's worthy of our trust, he's worthy of our worship, especially now. We're not as dependent on the fig tree and the olive tree and the fields and the flocks and the cattle as much as they were in the land of Israel, but I would encourage you to fill in to this verse the disturbing things that you're dealing with right now, that you're facing right now. What does your verse 17 sound like? Though I've lost my job, though I've had to file for unemployment, though my retirement funds are dwindling away in the stock market, though my child is not walking with the Lord, though my chronic pain is getting worse, not better, and there doesn't seem to be any explanation that the doctor can give me. Though I've just been diagnosed with cancer, you fill in the blank, it, it, it all applies. And the question is, will you choose to trust God and to worship God? I've got an old Bible that I don't use anymore, but just to study, and it kind of is propped up in my desk, uh, on, my, on my desk in my office, and I use it as a reference Bible, but I call it Old Bessie, and uh, every once in a while I'll pull it out, and, and it's the Bible that I've, I've made tons of notes in. It was the Bible I took through seminary and, and uh, had in seminary, and so it has, it's just filled with all sorts of notes, and there's a, if you turn there in that Bible to Habakkuk chapter three, in the white space at the bottom, I wrote in this note, and I simply said this, no matter what is happening in your life, God is always worthy to be worshiped. No matter what is happening in your life, God is always worthy to be worshiped. And that's essentially what Habakkuk said and did in verse 18. He says, yet I will exult in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. I will rejoice in the God who saved me. J. Sidlow Baxter, who is famous for his Explore the Book uh, commentary, and this is what he said about verse 18, and particularly that word rejoice, I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. He said this, quote, literally, 
It is, I will jump for joy in the Lord. I will spin around for delight in God. And then he went on to say this, here is the hilarity of faith, joy at its best with circumstances at their worst. What a victory, may it be ours. And then I'm sure you're familiar with that final verse, verse 19, the Lord God is my strength. And he has made my feet like hinds feet and makes me walk on my high places. Notice Habakkuk acknowledging here that this was, none of this was possible in his own strength. He, he couldn't respond in this way on his own. This is not natural. This is supernatural. And it requires supernatural strength. And so he says, the Lord God is my strength. I can do this in the power and with the strength that God gives me because he has made my feet like hinds feet and he makes me walk on my high places. Habakkuk's faith was not so much his faith as it was simply trusting in the faithfulness of God. Hudson Taylor, the great missionary to China, defined faith as that. Faith is trusting in the faithfulness of God. I think this is a great reminder to us that as Christians, our lives are not based on our faithfulness, but on God's faithfulness. This is why we say that while we love the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints, it really should be understood and communicated as the preservation of the saints that the reason why we persevere in our faith as Christians is because God preserves us by his grace. This imagery here is beautiful. It's powerful. He made my feet. He has made my feet like hinds feet. And he makes me walk on my high places. Now we don't live in Israel and, uh, and so we don't, we're not familiar with these, these things called hinds or what I think is what uh, Habakkuk was referring to was what's called an ibex which are known in Israel, they're native to Israel and I came across a, a video that I wanted us to watch this morning uh, of the uh, Israeli Ibex. And this is from a, a PBS nature show. And it's just a, a few minutes. But as you watch these Ibex, I want you to th think about what that might look like for you practically in light of the fact that he has made your feet like the feet of an Ibex. And he makes you walk on high places like the Ibex. All right, I hope that worked. That's a great video, isn't it? And like the land of Israel, our world can be an inhospitable environment and not always an easy place to live, but the timeless 
message of the book of Habakkuk is for us today to live by faith, particularly when the future looks bleak. That's the message for us today from the prophet Habakkuk. Live by faith, particularly when the future looks bleak. That was the prophet's triumphant testimony, even though he knew things were gonna get worse before they got better, even though God's ways were hard for him to understand. He wanted us to know that God can and must be trusted. And that's why the theme verse or the key verse in this entire book is back in chapter two. And I told you to underline this section and you can go back there right now as we close. Notice verse four, he says, the righteous shall live by his faith or as we maybe are more familiar with it, the just shall live by faith. And we know this verse is quoted a number of times in the New Testament. It's the the core of Christianity. The Apostle Paul quoted Habakkuk 2.4 a couple of times to prove the the, the cardinal doctrine that, that a person is justified by faith or made right with God by faith alone apart from works. Romans chapter one, verse 17, for the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith Galatians chapter three, verse 11, uh, Paul once again makes that point by quoting this verse, now that the one who is justified by the law before, now, now that no one is justified by the law before God is evidence for Habakkuk 2, 4 says, the righteous man shall live by faith. So Paul's point was that rather than making ourselves right with God, By relying on our own strength, our own ability, we must simply and solely trust in what Jesus has done for us through his death and resurrection. And in order to escape God's wrath and judgment against sin, we must repent of our prideful efforts to save ourselves and place our faith in Jesus who already earned salvation for us. And so understanding Habakkuk 2.4 is the key to understanding the Christian faith. But it's also the key to understanding the Christian life. Because faith is not just a one-time act. Faith is a way of life. And we talk about this as Christians, that we are to live by faith and not by sight. And the other place where Habakkuk 2.4 is quoted in the New Testament is in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 38. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him, but we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. And then he goes on in chapter 11, the writer of Hebrews, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, for by it the men of old gained approval. And then he lists off all the members of what we call the hall of faith, Abel and Noah and Enoch and Abraham and Moses and how they walked by faith and not by sight. The point there in Hebrews is that true believers persevere 
And they remain faithful to trust God and to worship God no matter the trials and the tribulations that they might be called upon by God to endure in life. I hope this story of Habakkuk inspires us today to not lose heart in the midst of the present trial that we are facing and that we would continue to live by faith knowing that this momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory in heaven that is far beyond anything that we can compare to on this earth. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for regularly pushing us out of our comfort zones to remind us that we, we cannot and will not find comfort in anyone or anything else but you, and to teach us to trust you and everything we know about you. Thank you that even though we can't understand what you're up to in our lives all the time, we know that you never fail, you never change, you never disappoint. And we thank you that when disturbing things happen to us or things just don't work out the way we wanted them to or planned them to or expected them to, that we can have the hope and the confidence that you've got it all under control. And there's nothing that you can't handle. You've got this. And Lord, help us to adjust our lives to your timetable and abandon all protesting and all complaining. Grant us the faith and the patience that we need to ride this pandemic out. And no matter how things unfold, may we be committed to joyfully worship you, come what may. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I read an article. You got me back on there? Oh, there I am again. Threw a curveball at the guys that didn't know I was going to keep talking. But I read a great article this week titled, Come What May. And if you haven't figured it out yet, I totally ripped off the title of that article for this morning's message. But it was by the executive editor for DesiringGod.org, John Piper's ministry. His name is David Mathis. And this is what he said in the article. And I thought this would be a great way to introduce our closing song. He said, quote, among the many ways that God may inspire his church in the coming days, we at least have one clue from Habakkuk what such patience and joy sounds like, singing. That's the stunning and unusual way this short interaction between the prophet and God ends with the prophet singing praise, and that's why he ends with directions for corporate worship. And you may have noticed this at the end, and you may want to turn back there to look for your see it for yourself with your own eyes. Habakkuk chapter three, it ends with these words, to the choir master with st- stringed instruments. In other words, these final lines are not only a prayer, they are a song for us to sing. Now, we're not gonna sing Habakkuk three to close, but we are gonna sing one of our favorite songs which is called, I Will Wait For You, which is based on Psalm 130, and I trust this will be a great way for us to respond uh, to the message this morning.